So anyway, I asked the Lord what to preach about today and what we should share. And he said, (coughs) the overcoming church. The overcoming church. So (coughs) I want to first go through. I said, okay, Lord, how do I do that? And he said, look up a bunch of scriptures on overcoming. Because that is how I see you. That is how he sees you. So I'm going to start by reading several scriptures about you being the overcomers of the world. 1 John 5, 4-5. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I want you to look at for a common theme in all these verses. John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Romans 8, 37. I'm reading out of, um, by the way, NIV 84. Romans 8, 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Through him who loved us. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. John 1, 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 1 John 4, 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Hallelujah. Revelation 12, 9 through 11. (coughs) The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a voice, a loud voice, in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. Who has authority in your life? The Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. That should be something you are so excited about. They triumphed. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Hallelujah. 
Does this give you a good picture of who you are and what your destiny is and how that destiny comes about? Lordship. The Lordship of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. There are three things in this last verse that I read, the Revelation verse. It says, they were victorious because, of, because they received Jesus, the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb. Their testimony was of Christ. Is your testimony of Christ? Do you have a passionate testimony for Christ? They did not love their lives unto death. Certainly, that includes physical death. That includes physical death. There are coming hard times and persecutions. Fortunately, we're going to get raptured before the great and terrible day. (laughs) But think about this, beloved. This would also include death unto, unto your very own flesh in the here and now. Death unto your worldly lusts that do not line up with the word of God. Passionate love for Christ to the extent that we are moved to action moved to action because to live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Christ and Christ alone. And by the way, I just want to let any new people here know, the worship team never knows my sermon. They have to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit themselves. So they didn't know what I was talking about today. Christ, Christ only. Every single one of these verses that I just read to you make it plain as day that there is one way and one way only to overcome in this world to be victorious through the circumstances of everyday life. The answer is only found in making Jesus Christ your Lord. Not just Savior. Yes, he's your Savior, but he must be your Lord. Lord of every situation, Lord of every trial, Lord of every temptation, Lord of every fleshly impulse that we face. His lordship in your life ensures, guarantees that you are an overcomer in this world. 
eternally for certain, but also in this world. Hallelujah. So every one of these verses also makes it as plain as day that we are going to face trials. We are going to face obstacles and roadblocks and suffering and trials of all kinds. Think it not strange. Think it not strange. Life in general will make that plain to you, won't it? You know, just what you face on a daily basis will make that very plain to you. But it's very comforting to me, at least, that the Word also tells me that. Because then when I face those trials and those temptations, and I'm having a difficult time perhaps working through them, I don't have to feel condemned about that. You understand what I'm saying? I don't have to feel condemned over that. I just have to say, I know your Lord. I'm submitting this to you. I know that you're my good counselor. You never allow a temptation or anything that I cannot, with you, find a way out. Ever. Ever. We have such a good and faithful God. We are all going to face difficulties. You are not a failure when a difficulty comes. It's all in how we respond and are, do we maintain him as Lord? We're all going to have difficulties on the job. We're all going to have difficulties if you're in school. We're all going to have difficulties in relationships, right? We're all going to have, you know, sometimes it feels like there are so many difficulties out of our control that we almost get to the point where we say, how much more am I intended to bear? How much more of this can I take? I know a lot of you have been there in this situation in the past months. And let me tell you, you've got a Lord who is compassionate and understands and who is with you. He is your healer. He is your redeemer. We will not get off our testimony of Christ. We will not get off our testimony of Christ. In the midst of the battle, when storm upon storm tend to arise, we will stand on the fact that the blood of the Lamb has saved you, and my testimony is of him. And no devil in hell is going to change that, and no devil in hell can defeat me. So the scripture tells us, don't find it strange when there's trial. 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is trying to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. You see that? That comforts me (laughs) because my Lord acknowledges it. But, beloved, what do we have? We have a blessed hope. We have a blessed hope. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Nobody's excluded. Everyone can receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. 
It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. Oh, and what a hope it is. Hallelujah. The appearing, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all, say all, wickedness and to purify Okay, listen to this. For himself. He is purifying you for himself. He desires you. You are the apple of his eye. He loves you tenderly and mercifully. For us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Lord, make me eager. Make me eager to do what is good with a passion that, that is willing to just forsake all other things in pursuit of you. That's my heart's cry. Make me eager with passion for you, Lord God. This right here, is a description of the overcomer. And when we overcome, as we overcome, we have a great and precious promise. Eternally, we get to live and eat of the tree of life in the presence of God. Do you understand that you will be in the presence as a believer in Jesus Christ in the presence of God forevermore. All this suffering is, all these trials are going to seem as nothing. We just maintain his lordship. So there are tremendous rewards for those who are overcomers in this life. The overcoming church. Those who Maintain Christ. You see what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying when I say that? On this overcoming road that we're walking. You're walking on the overcoming road. You are not defeated. The gates of hell will not prevail against you because you have the blood who speaks for you, that speaks for you. So Jesus made seven statements to the churches about overcoming. And I'm going to read them, all seven to you. I'm going to start in Revelation 2, 7. To him, okay, these are for you, beloved. These are for you, the, his beloved church. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Our eternal return 
to our heavenly home. No more tears. Hallelujah. Second, Revelation 2.11, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Hallelujah. Revelation 2.17, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Revelation 2, 27 and 28. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over nations. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. Hallelujah. Revelation 3, 5. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He acknowledges you before the Father. No matter what the accuser tries to say about you. (coughs) Revelation 3.12. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar. I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. We cannot even fathom the glory of this right now. But let it be known that it's going to be more glorious than anything you could have ever imagined. I just think that we are going to be so enveloped in the love of God that We are just going to melt in his presence. Every fear, every concern, gone. And that's honestly how he wants us to walk here. Beloved, truthfully, because of the love of the Father for you, all anxiety, all fear, all concern should just melt in puddles off your life because he loves you so much. He sees you as the overcomer. How, how, how much must we see ourselves the way he sees us? And lastly, 321, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne.
Oh, beloved, how can we not be passionate for a God like this? How could we not? How could we not make it the entire focus of our hearts to love him passionately, to share him passionately? Hallelujah. So I'm going to go to the church of Ephesus in Revelation, uh, Revelation 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, okay, he's speaking to John, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars. Those would be the angels of the churches. In his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's the church, the seven churches. Does it thrill you to know that he is walking <laughs> among the seven golden lampstands? I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at the first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That is your home the new Jerusalem, where the tree of life will be again. You see that? So basically, as there's a general format when we go through these seven churches, every single format is pretty much the same. Jesus names the church. These are all examples for us, okay? He names the church. He names a characteristic about himself, he commends that church for something. Then he admonishes them for something because is there a perfect church? I guess generally there was only one that was totally, you know, that he didn't admonish. He calls the church to repentance. Beloved, repentance is a very good word because when we come to the Lord and repent, it's like no other love feel, uh, that washes over us because it just gets rid of all the muck and the mire and, and the heaviness. And he never condemns. He never condemns. He always loves us through that. All he wants us to do is come to him and make him Lord over that thing. 
and you do not have to feel condemned. You will be so free and so liberated when we, when we do that. So he calls them to repent. He tells them what's going to happen if they don't repent, and then he tells them how they are going to be re- victorious when they do, when they do as, as he tells them to do. So when we look at, at these verses for Ephesus, the church of Ephesus, we see that as he goes through, he commends them for their hard work. He commends them for persevering through trial. He commends them for not becoming weary. He commends them for enduring hardship for his sake, for the sake of Christ. He commends them. This is so important in our time. He commends them for testing and not tolerating false doctrine and false apostles. He commends them for hating the practices of the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans, those were church members who held to practices that God hated. They called themselves church members. The Nicolaitans would basically conquer and subdue others with false gospel, with false doctrines. They lived a very um, self-indulgent life. Um, They were very indulgent in fleshly fleshly, uh, appetites, let's put it that way. They permitted the eating of food that had been sacrificed to idols. They were uh, involved in sexual immorality. They were basically extremely very indifferent to how they lived, how they ate, how they lived. It was, do you remember, y'all, y'all are probably all younger than I am, <laughs> so maybe you don't remember this, but like in the 70s, maybe it was, or 80s, I'm not really sure. Do you remember that I'm okay, you're okay movement? Do you remember that? I'm okay, you're okay. We're all okay. We're all just going to believe what we believe. And, you know, do you see how that has continued to manifest into our current culture and just become a stronger and stronger demon? You see what I'm saying? It's not I'm okay, you're okay. It's not anything goes. Does that sound like what we experience today? Yes. That's because there was compromise way back when. So in other words, the Nicolaitans, they lived, they lived this very um, flamboyant, in, in very flamboyant disregard of life restrained by the gospel of Christ. I want to read you a couple passages that Rick Renner has written about them. Uh, You probably all know who Rick Renner is, but he is uh, a scholar of Greek. He is a Bible scholar. He has a church in Russia, in Moscow. Moscow. Um, And this is what he writes about them. Nicholas taught a doctrine of compromise. I want you to think about our society now, what we're going through as I read this. Nicholas taught a doctrine of compromise, implying that total separation between Christianity 
and the practice of occult paganism was not essential. Was not essential. (coughs) Nicholas of Antioch was so immersed in occultism, Judaism, and Christianity that he had a stomach for all of it. He had no problem intermingling these belief systems in various concoctions and saw absolutely no reason why believers believers couldn't continue to fellowship with those still immersed in the black magic of the Roman Empire and its countless mystery cults. Didn't have a problem with that at all. Should we have a problem with that? We should have a problem. We should have a big problem. And we should make sure that if we have a problem with that, we carry through in our actions and we don't watch certain things, we don't listen to certain things. You understand what I'm saying? It's not because you have your head in, your, in the sand. It's because you know Jesus and you know the overcoming life, and if you get involved in these things, you can be of no use to anyone. I'm sorry, I mean no use. A mixed doctrine is of no use. So he goes on to say, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans was encouraging compromise. Does that sound familiar? Tolerance? Sounds real, sounds totally the same to me. Compromise with the world always results in a weakened and powerless form of Christianity. I would say compromise with the world ends up in a weakened and powerless church. Anywhere in our lives where we compromise, we have become powerless. I mean, absolutely of no good for Jesus. That's just how it is. Wake up. This, this is Renner continuing. This was the reason that Jesus hated <coughs> the doctrine and the deeds of the Nicolaitans. So, Jesus... We're in the church of Ephesus right now. Jesus admonishes the church of Ephesus for forsaking their first love. Forsaking their first love. From falling away from the fervency and the passion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must maintain passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ in our everyday lives. I know it's busy. I know, I know challenges come. But as we are passionate for Jesus, those things will melt away. So the, the Ephesian church the, uh, here, it says, they had good works, they had good deeds, but they had no passion. They lost their first love. They were basically going through the motion of the works going through the motion of the works without the love. Is it good to um, have carrying closet? 
where we provide clothing for anyone who needs it and can't afford it. Is that a good thing? Is that a good work? But it is because of the passion that we have for Christ. It is because of the passion that he chose to serve. It is because of the passion that he wanted widows and orphans to be taken care of. It has to be rooted in the gospel of Christ, whatever you do. We can all do good works, but we have to have passion. It has to come from a love for people out of our hearts and a love for Christ, no matter what we do. And if you're not called to that particular ministry, do a ministry that you are passionate about for him. Beloved, we must walk in the very same passion that Christ walked in. Think about his passion for you, okay? Think about his passion for you. His passion for every person, every person in the world ever born led him to the cross. His passion for every person led him to the cross. It allowed him to suffer shame, to suffer humiliation and torture to take you to heaven with him someday. You know, his passion for truth. Did he have a passion for truth? Yes, he was the word. His passion for truth led him to walk, no matter what, to walk in the true character and virtue of God. You can do the same thing. You can do the same thing because you have the word that shows you how to do it. He taught. He was teaching. He was loving. He was instructing. He was living by example and not by speech only. We live by the example of Christ coming out through us and not just by our speech. Anybody can quote the word. Well, not anybody, but believers can quote the word. But we have to walk by example of the word in our lives. Lord, this should be all of our prayer. Lord, make my actions follow my convictions. That my actions would follow my convictions in the word because of you. That I would show you passionately to those around me. His passion for pleasing the Father. Do we want to please the Father? Yes, when we please the Father, I mean, what better thing could we be doing than pleasing the Father? So his passion for pleasing the Father allowed him, caused him to die to self, to die to self, forsaking worldly gain, worldly comforts, worldly pleasures for the prize that was coming. You see that? He was homeless, basically, in this earth. He, the scripture said that he had no place to lay his head. Of course, does that mean you have to be homeless? No, that's not what I'm saying, okay? <coughs> I don't agree with the doctrine of whatever that one is. It says y'all need to be poor. It's totally against the word. Anyway, he had no place to lay his head. Matthew 8, 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, 
he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. That is our heart's cry, isn't it? Yeah, and look how Jesus responded. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Are you willing, when you are doing what the Lord has called you to do, are you willing to make whatever sacrifice is necessary? The point is not that we have to be homeless, although Jesus functionally in this earth was homeless. The point is that we must count whatever it is, whatever Jesus, whatever the Lord has called you to do, we must be willing to count the cost and willing to pay the cost, count the cost and pay whatever it takes. Because in that, you are going to be in such glory, fulfilling the dreams and the heart of Jesus for your life. You see that? Passion for Jesus requires that. Our passion must be, our passion for Jesus must be what leads us. It is our leading force. Our passion for Christ must be what burns in our souls, what burns in our passion for Christ must be what burns in our souls and sets the rudder for our lives. Our passion for Christ must be that which navigates us through the storms and floods. It must be. Our passion for Christ must be that burning light that causes us to confront the ills of the world, and I mean confront them. I don't mean just walk in the other room when somebody is blaspheming the gospel of Christ. I don't mean just hightail it out and avoid the conflict or the confrontation. In love, the truth of the gospel will always bring freedom to a dark doctrine. So we must be the burning light with fervor, (coughs) with fervor and conviction and relentless, (coughs) relentless intolerance. Relentless intolerance for compromise of any sort at any moment. Now someone's going to ask me, well, we're not supposed to argue the doctrines. Well, that's not what I'm telling you to do. I'm telling you to confront darkness. Okay? So just because someone doesn't want to really be passionate, they use these these. Scripture's taken out of context. And that's, that's not what I'm talking about here. We will suffer earthly costs for eternal gain. We will suffer that. But we have a hope beyond all hopes. Every believer will suffer. So what does this mean? What does this mean in real life when uh, 
to have this passion. What does this mean? What, how does it cause us to move? In effect, every believer is called, every believer is called to give up any idol, any idol that we have placed before the Lord in our lives. Okay, don't just think of, of pagans as having idols. A believer can have an idol. It doesn't mean you're demon-possessed or anything about that. I'm not talking about that. Okay? But we can have idols. We can have wrong thinking. We can, we can put things before the Lord that we need to get rid of us. And each of us, frankly, knows what that is in our own life. And if, and if we don't, we feel, you know, you feel like a, a lack of peace or a turmoil, and then you just ask the Holy Spirit, well, what is that, Lord? He'll tell you in, in a very good and kind way. He will tell you without condemnation. If there is a condemning spirit, that's not the Lord talking to you. I'm sorry. Okay? The Lord is loving and kind, gracious, merciful, and forgiving. Okay? And he speaks to us with sweetness in his voice. Okay? And peace. He, speak to, he speaks to us in ways of peace. Okay? So if, if those things are gone... That's the devil trying to torment you, okay? So we do not need to tell our neighbor what their idol is, by the way. Okay? You don't, you don't need to be involved with what idol you think your neighbor has. It's not, that's not, if your neighbor comes to you and wants wisdom, that, that's a whole other thing. But have we placed our kids, have we placed our jobs, have we placed our own self-importance before the Lord in our lives? That takes action on our part. It takes work to look at ourselves truthfully, honestly. Um, Are there addictions that we need to get rid of? Whatever that might be. Uh, What about TV or social media? Has that taken the place of our fellowship with the Lord? I'm not saying you can't watch a TV program, okay, but, but has it replaced a passion? for your Jesus. The heart that loves Christ, the heart that is passionate for Christ, will get rid of every competing love. It will get rid of every competing love, despite the fact that there might be initial pain in that process. Okay? That doesn't mean you stay in pain because you get the victory. Right? Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Hallelujah. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value... Your Jesus is of great value. (laughs) He went away and sold everything he had and bought it. We are called to be like the person who bought the field with the hidden treasure. We are called to be like the person who bought the pearl of great price. We are called to do this. Nothing in this earth, nothing in this earth should allow us to forsake our first love. Think about when you were first saved. And I'm not telling you to, you know, like, like I was never one of those who just went out and, and, you know, like, 
jumping for joy and telling everybody. I wasn't like that. Some people are like that. But in your own life, just remember the first joy, the first love when you got saved and ask the Lord to revive it in your hearts now. Oh, Lord, revive that passion of my first love for you. Let that be what motivates me to do your work. Not just works to do work, but let my passion, my heart of love for you be that which motivates me in all things. So, what do we receive? Not that we're always looking to receive. We all know that, but what do we receive for the promise of that passion? Revelation 2.7, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And Matthew, I thought Matthew Henry's commentary on this was edifying. It says, the Christian life is a warfare against sin, against Satan, against the world, against the flesh. We must never yield to our spiritual enemies. And then we shall have a glorious triumph and reward. All who persevere, that's you, that's the overcoming church, <coughs> all who persevere shall derive from Christ as the tree of life perfection and confirmation in holiness and happiness. I love that. You see what, what, the, what his promises are like to your soul. We truly will be the spotless bride of Christ. So I want to read one more scripture to you. It's in 2 Chronicles 16, 9. This should make you feel so excited it said, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen. He, his eyes range for you to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Oh, Lord, give me a heart that is fully committed to you through every season of my life. He will raise you up as you stand fully committed to him. He will raise you up. He will anoint you. He will anoint you. He is coming to get you, beloved. <laughs> he is coming to get you. We will, I believe, I'm going in the rapture. You can believe what you want to believe, okay? But you're wrong, if you think anything other than that. No, I know. <laughs> but he is coming to get us. He is coming, and we are going to be living in the new Jerusalem where the tree of life is. What a beautiful thing, the way he always planned it to be. And I just want to remain so passionate for him to see him so clearly, to demonstrate him, you know, beautifully with a passion in my heart that others will catch that flame of passion 
and desire to be with him also, not only in eternity, yes, but in this world here. We can live victoriously, right? Heaven is our final home, and it is worth all we have to pursue Christ and Christ alone in this life. Make that my passion. Make that the love of my heart. In Jesus' mighty name. All right, so that's what I thought the Lord wanted me to share with everybody today. So we are going to take communion. Communion is open in this church to any believer. We are going to take communion, and then we will receive tithes and offerings. If you did not get the communion elements, raise your hand, and somebody will bring it to you.